You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open the Word of our God together this afternoon. We turn to a couple of passages from the Gospel of John, as well as the beginning of the letter to the Hebrews. Let us turn, first of all, to John chapter 20, the verses 24 to 31. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord... And my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Then we turn to chapter 21, verse 20 to 25. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And then finally we turn to Hebrews chapter 1, the verses 1 to 4. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, 
So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. This afternoon we continue our series of sermons on Lord's Day 20 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which has to do with the Holy Spirit. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, he is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, he has also given me to make me, by true faith, share in Christ and all his benefits, to comfort me and to remain with me forever. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in our series of sermons on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, we have dealt with the Spirit in relation to the Old Testament, in relation to the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus, in relation to the early New Testament church, as well as to the life of the believer. The last few times we have been dealing with the Holy Spirit and the matter of controversy. In particular, we have dealt with the Spirit's ministry and seen how at times it has also been abused with, for example, respect to the matter of miracles as well as tongues. And now it has to be said that this is all rather regrettable. I take no pleasure in mentioning this. I have no desire to dwell on what some might call spiritual abuse. But nevertheless, there are some things that one just cannot avoid. As an elder and a preacher of the gospel, I am, in the words of Paul, to keep watch over myself and over you, because the Holy Spirit, as Acts 20 says, has placed you in my spiritual care. And as believers, too, we have a sacred calling to discern, to test the spirits, to identify air, as well as to resist it. Oh, and then I realize that by nature we may not like to do any of these things. By nature we may prefer to be laid back, nice, tolerant, positive, upbeat, and accepting all the time. Besides, we live in a day and an age in which it is deemed unchristian to say anything critical of anyone or anything. Niceness and tolerance is all the rage. At the same time, some seem to think that being critical of someone else's views or practices means that you are making a prediction or a judgment about their eternal salvation. But let's make one thing clear, and it's this. Discernment and disagreement are perfectly acceptable Christian practices. What is not acceptable is for any of us to crawl into, as it were, the seat of judgment and play God. As Professor Strange reminded some of us a few Saturdays ago, we are not allowed to call anyone reprobate, or perhaps you might say a lost cause. Judgment belongs to God alone. Discernment, however, belongs to every one of you 
because it belongs to the office of every believer. Yes, beloved, and as we put on our discernment caps, we have noted that there are those who abuse the work of the Holy Spirit when it comes to miracles. They claim that every age is the same as the New Testament, a miracle-working age. They claim to the power to work miracles at will. They promise to heal each and every one. And then they fail to deliver what they promise. And instead, some of them turn a, a miracle ministry into a greedy and ego-feeding kind of operation. And as well, beloved, there are those who insist that if you cannot speak in tongues, as they would define tongues, you are not a true or real Christian. They would call into question your very identity and status as a child of God. They sit in judgment of you. Yet we beg to, to differ and we believe otherwise. We have affirmed already that our God is a miracle-working God still today, but that this happens according to His time and to His agenda and not ours. And we've also affirmed that tongues are not a precondition to being a true believer. Rather, they represent a temporary gift of the Spirit to the New Testament church. So, beloved, we take a different approach to miracles and to tongues. Nevertheless, that's not all. There's a third matter on which we differ. It has to do with revelation. And with the way in which God reveals himself to his people today. In other words, putting it very simply, is the Bible enough or do we need more and additional revelations? Let's consider that matter. I preached to you on the following theme, the spirit and controversy. What about continuing revelation? We're going to look at a disputed way, a tested way, and finally a better way. So the spirit and controversy, what about continuing revelation, a disputed way, a tested way, and a better way? Well, beloved, it happened many years ago in Orangeville, Ontario, before I entered into the ministry of the gospel. I met a man who was married to a member of my old home congregation. He recognized me, and he proceeded to tell me a most amazing story. He said that he had been deeply in debt and that one night God came to him and told him to take out his checkbook and write check after check after check. And he told me that he did as the Holy Spirit told him and that now several days later, about a week later I think it was, all of his debts were gone. Poof. Into thin air. Needs to say, his story kind of puzzled me. 
How could this be? What did this mean? And what implications perhaps did it have for my debts? But then as time passed, I forgot about this matter until some months later I met him again. And I asked him how he was doing. And he said he was doing poorly because he was deeply in debt. Surprised, I asked him how, how this was possible. The last time that you and I met together, you, you told me that all of your debts had been most miraculously disappeared at the command of God. To which he admitted that some weeks later, after he wrote the checks, they all came back N-S-F, non-sufficient funds. Needless to say, that particular incident made me an instant skeptic when it came to the God told me or God the Holy Spirit told me stories. And since then, however, beloved, I've continued to come across them. For example, some of the older ones among us here may remember the late faith healer Oral Roberts who said on his television broadcast that God had told him to build the City of Faith Medical Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And later when that center after had been built, a number of years later when it came and ran into financial trouble, Roberts said that God had appeared to him again and that this time God told him through the Spirit he had to raise $8 million to keep the center going or else he would kill him. And he said, God even supplied a deadline. Now, as you can imagine, that particular story raised more than a few headlines. God says to preacher, pay up or die. Well, beloved, what about the pastor who told his congregation one fine Sunday morning that the Spirit had appeared to him And it told him that he had to make sure that his congregation built a new $11 million building. Or what about the husband who said that God told him to divorce his wife, while his wife said that God told her that she had to remain married to this cantankerous character. Or what about the missionary who showed up one summer in the Balkley Valley with a brand spanking new beautiful young wife and told everyone the Spirit had told him to trade in the older model. Now I could go on and on, but I trust you're starting to get the picture. The story of Christians on one stripe or another claiming that God the Father or God the Son speaks to them directly and tells them things are everywhere these days. So often you can hear people say, God told me. Or the Spirit prompted me. Or I got this vision from God. Or I am doing this at God's orders. 
I read about it everywhere. I hear it locally. I go to China. And I hear it a lot. It's everywhere. Now, in a way, all of that might not be so bad. However, the disturbing thing is that all too often the things that people claim that God told them are in direct conflict with or at odds with the Bible. Since when does God tell people to dump their wives or their husbands when they get too old and get divorced? Since when does God tell pastors they have to build mega church buildings? Since when does God tell people to forget about their financial responsibilities and write checks after checks even though there isn't any money in their account? And now, of course, I realize. I realize that other people make different statements about what God tells them, and some of those statements may not necessarily be objectionable. They may be less offensive. They may also be, in a way, kind of of helpful. But still, beloved, this kind of a practice is so often abused. And there's also something else that disturbs me. Why, and you need to ask yourself this question, why should people bother with the Bible at all if they already have a direct line to heaven? Why read the Word? Why memorize the Word? Why discuss the Word together? Why go through sometimes all of that mentally tasking stuff in relation to the Word when you can go to God, ask Him whatever you want, and get an instant answer? Forget about the Word. Dial heaven directly. But it's not the way to go. Beloved, all of this calls on us to stand back and to ask ourselves, is this according to the will of God? Should we supplement biblical revelation with modern direct revelation? Or should we try to replace the one with the other? Those are very serious questions. They they come to the heart and root of our faith. So what does the Bible say about itself? What does it say about direct and ongoing revelation today? You know, the first thing that we learn from the Bible itself is that revelation, or those who proclaim to be dispensing revelation or prophecy are engaging in dangerous things. Do you know what happened happens to a man who stands up in the Old Testament before God's people and claims that he has the revelation from God? According to Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22, it says there that the people have then a special sacred responsibility to test him. 
And if what he predicts or what he says comes true, then they should accept it. If what he says does not come true, they should reject it. But that's not all. If what he says is false, he must be put to death. If that measuring rod were to be applied today, the landscape would be littered with a lot of bodies. The bodies of a lot of false prophets. You see, claiming to dispense revelation on behalf of God is not simply an innocent spiritual lark. It's a profoundly spiritual and serious matter. And you know, so is adding to and augmenting this revelation. The book of Revelation says, and you may recall those words in chapter 22, I warn anyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Beware what you claim to be divine revelation. And beware if you claim it to be of the same quality and caliber of what is in the Scriptures themselves. The second thing, beloved, that we learn from the Bible itself is that it is sufficient for salvation. In other words, when it comes right down to it, you and I really don't need any additional revelations. Indeed, when it comes to the heart and the center of our salvation. We can be so bold as to say, we know enough. You know, a moment ago, we read from those two chapters in John's Gospel. The first of those, John 20, tells us that John's Gospel tells us in his Gospel what we need to know about Christ. Look at verse 31. But these signs, and John's gospel is constructed on a series of signs, these signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. John is telling us that the biblical record, part of which he also reveals, tells us about the Savior. It tells us he's anointed, he's divine. It tells us that we need to believe in him. And it tells us that when we do believe in him, we shall receive life. Glorious, eternal, everlasting life. You see, it's all there. Who needs more? And something else as well. Both John 20 and 21 tell us that there is a lot more that could have been included, but was not. John 20 informs us that Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples. 
And John in chapter 21 tells us that if all the things that Jesus did were written down, there wouldn't be enough room in the world for all the books that would be written. Quite simply, there's a great deal more, more to tell about Jesus. But John says what the Bible reveals is enough. We don't need any more. We may like a lot more, because by nature we're all curious Georges, but we don't need anymore. And as a matter of fact, we shouldn't go looking for any more either. And then, beloved, there is also Hebrews chapter 1. It teaches us that not only is this word revelation of God sufficient, but it also adds that this revelation is the best, the fullest, the most climactic and complete revelation of all. Listen to those opening verses. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And who's the son? He's the heir of all things. He's the one through whom God made the universe. He's the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, the one who sustains all things, who provides purification for sins, who's enthroned at the right hand of the majesty on high. In other words, beloved, there is no other better, higher, fuller revelation than what we receive in and through Jesus Christ. The Son of God. The gospel say you look to Him. You embrace His gospel. You live the life that He instructs you to live. And it doesn't get any better than this. Hebrews says God has never spoken any clear, and He never will, than what He has spoken and through his son. So what more do we need than the all-sufficient, God-spoken, Christ-centered, Spirit-inspired Word of God? Of course, you may say at this point, yeah, but there are other things that we want to know about. You know, the Bible may teach about salvation and about Christ and about all kinds of other theological things, but what we want to know is the more practical stuff for daily living. In other words, how do we deal with issues, problems, challenges that arise from day to day? We need more than saving knowledge. We need daily wisdom for such questions as, is she the girl for me? Do I take this new job or not? Do I buy this new house? Do I move or do I stay put? We want answers to those kind of questions and a lot more. 
Well, true enough. But you know, beloved, isn't that also something that the Bible itself promises? Its efficiency, you know, has to do not just with salvation. You know, the Apostle Paul writes, all Scripture is is God-breathed. Breathed out by God. Why is it breathed out by God? Well, it says to make it truly useful, beneficial, profitable. But for what purpose? Well, Paul says again, so that you may be taught, so that you may be rebuked, so that you may be corrected, so that you may be trained in righteousness, so that you may become a complete person. Do you hear what Paul is saying? He's saying the scripture actually is good for everything. All of life. And it's especially good for us. Because it makes us complete and whole as people. It equips us for every good work. It gives us insight and knowledge. It makes us wise. You see, this word isn't just theological. It's eminently practical. Wonderfully transforming. Our greatest teacher and guide as we go through life. If we use it well, we will end up with a great Happy, full, and rich life. Blessed is the man who walks in the counsels of the Lord. And so, beloved, in the end, it all comes down to this, namely, which is the better way? Is the way of hoping for continuing revelation better? Or is it better to live by the written word of God? And I would say to you this afternoon, the latter is better by far. Stick to the written word and and stick to it alone. You know that well-known Reformation slogan, sola scriptura. Doesn't mean there's no place for tradition. Doesn't mean there's no place for illumination or insight But stick above all to the Scriptures. A lamp unto your feet, a light unto your paths. And I realize, of course, too, that this may be hard for some people to do. They cannot accept the fact that God has given us His Word and that His written Word is all that we need. They want more. They want, as it were, continued access to heaven. They want a direct internet, high-speed connection. They'd love to have it visual as well, but it doesn't come that way. But why do people want this? Why do Christians want this? And I would hazard the guess that for one, they want a divine experience much more than they want a divine book. And for another, they don't want to have to spend all kinds of time and effort wading into the Bible every time again. 
And for another, they want direct revelation because, you know, that's really, really hard to challenge. If next Sunday I came on this pulpit and I said to you, God told me, you have to buy me a Ferrari. There's no way. No way you could prove me wrong. It's my divine word against your human word. It's my revelation against your non-revelation. You see how easily this approach can be used and abused? And it is being abused every day. I hate to say it, but every day there are pastors and church leaders around this world laying this burden and then that burden upon God's people all under the umbrella of God told me to tell you. And every day there are people doing immoral and dishonest things under the banner of God said so. You see, any and all claim to direct, immediate, divine revelation can so easily be abused. And it is abused. And that tells me that that cannot be the way that God uses to make His people grow. He would not ordain such a confusing Debatable, susceptible, crooked way. And I dare say, and I'll make this statement as well, this also cannot be the way of the Spirit. For what is direct revelation but the way of spiritual laziness and immaturity? You know, think about it for a moment. The Spirit has, has gone to all of this effort to bring us today, but we have the written and abiding Word of God. Throughout the centuries, He selected certain men in certain places, different times, to write down things. He, he did it by means of visions and dreams and ecstatic utterances and so forth. And then finally, after more than 1,600 years, he brought it all to a, a glorious climax in Jesus Christ, the Word incarnate. And when Christ was done and ascended into heaven, then he gave his church in due time the Word. And it's the most marvelous, indescribable gift. Where would we be today without the Word of God? And you study church history and you see how God, the Spirit, protects this Word. And the Romans were trying to eradicate it. And you see how the Spirit spreads it and applies it. He calls unbelievers everywhere to use it and to live it. Beloved, did the Spirit go to all of this effort so that we could so easily discard, ignore, or bypass 
his word. And he gave this word with the idea that, that once it was complete, 66 books, you could set them comfortably aside and simply go to God the Father, God the Son. And besides, why did the Spirit come and give us so many spiritual gifts relating to wisdom and knowledge and understanding and discernment and discretion? If there is continuing revelation, who needs them? Do you have a question? Do you have a problem? Ring heaven. Get an instant answer. No spiritual effort required. Beloved, all this is not the way of the Spirit. It's not the better way. The better way of the Spirit calls on us to embrace His Word, to read it faithfully, to dig into it, to discuss it, to wrestle with it, to debate it, and thereby to grow and mature in it as well as in Him. And at the same time, the better way of the Spirit should make us realize that still today, God speaks to us through His Word. It's a means of grace. And I would add, God also causes our minds to be illumined and He gives us through that Word true insight. And God uses the Spirit to turn trying circumstances and difficult situations into valuable lessons for daily living. And He causes the Spirit to give us valuable friends and insightful counselors. You see, by having us apply the Word to life, the Spirit matures us, deepens our faith, And develops our character. And so, armed as we are with the spirit of the word and the word of the spirit, we have no need for anything or anyone else. We have all that we need for hope and confidence, guidance and direction, knowledge and insight, growth and development. We are to turn to the Word, and thereby to tune in to the Holy Spirit. His Word and His Word alone is for the regulation, confirmation, and foundation of our faith. His Word and His Word alone fully contains the will of God. You may read it, believe it, Build your life on it and be certain that you are building on a good foundation. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web 
at www.langleycanrc.org.